Hello and welcome to the March of the Machine After Show. I'm your host, Blake Rasmussen, but you are here to see the two fine gentlemen on my right. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, we've got Mark <laughs> Rosewater and Matt Tayback. So we oh, just were introduced to March of the Machine, uh, the set, the cards, all the things, mechanics, all that sort of jazz. Uh, we are going to take our time here, and we're going to walk through all of this sort of stuff. We're going to talk through mechanics. We're going to talk through... Mark's going to share stories about the origins, dive into why certain things are, how they, the team came up with a bunch of stuff. We're going to look at some pretty cards. We've got some pretty cards. We've got some dice. We're going we're gonna to do a little show and tell here. Uh, but we're going to talk about all things March of the Machine. And then uh, when it comes to the end, we're going to answer your questions. Go ahead and put your questions in chat whenever you want. It helps to tag at magic. I got uh, some folks who are going to send me messages through my phone, however that works. And uh, then we're going to get to that Q&A section at the end and answer as many as we can. Uh, but first, uh, we're here. This is March of the Machine. We've been yeah, building here. this for a while. The scope of this, Mark, is huge. Oh, giant. How, tell us how this came about. Tell us the story behind getting to this moment. So, so let's go back to March. Uh, so back to War of the Sparks. So, when mm -hmm. War of the Sparks was first pitched to me, they're like, "We're going to have a war with almost every planeswalker you've ever seen, all in one place." Mm -hmm. And I'm like, "That was a crazy ask. You know, how <laughs> how do we make that happen?" So they're like, "Okay, we've done that. So now." What if every planeswalker you've ever seen, involving every world you've ever seen, all together fought the Frexians? Mm -hmm. Like when they first came to me, they're like, we want a giant war of the Frexians. I'm like, okay, well, how many planes? They're like, all the planes. I'm like, all the, every plane we've ever visited ever will be here. Uh, so anyway, it, you can't get a bigger scope. It was a no. giant, giant scope. Uh, and so the challenge of our team was, okay, how do we have a battle that is, as big as the multiverse, how do we make something that big? How do, how do we deliver that? That was, it was a big ask. Yeah. Now wait, yeah. I've got a question. Now, yeah. Mark, hopefully if we've done our jobs, we yeah. have some viewers out there that are tuning in for the very first time. Very first time. They might be new to magic. Mm -hmm. They might be, you know, not have watched us before. They mm -hmm. have no idea what's going on. So I have a question okay. on behalf of those players. Yes. Who are you? Okay, <laughs> that's a good question. So I'm the head designer, so I am uh, the head designer for Magic, and I was the lead of the vision design for this set. So um, the vision design team is the team in charge of figuring out the blueprints. If we are building a metaphorical house, uh, we build the blueprints. We figure out what exactly we're making. And for this set, it was, it, there were some big blueprints. We just want a house, the biggest house you've ever seen, ever, mm -hmm. times 10. You know, the, the largest scope thing Magic has ever done, like way, way bigger than anything we've ever done. Just make that make that happen. Okay, yeah. so you're some sort of spokesperson for Magic. <laughs> you interact with fans. Do you uh, maybe have an article? Do you write anything? How do you communicate with people? Yes, I do. Thank, thank you, Matt. I'm just wondering, <laughs> how, like, if people want to interact with you more, how would they do? They could read my weekly article, Making Magic. They could read my daily blog, Blogatog. They could listen to my podcast, Right to Work. I convey a lot of magic information in a lot of places. Heavens, that's a lot of information. Surely someone <laughs> will put this, uh, links to these things somewhere, somewhere in some usable form. I'm sure they will. Thank you for that information. <laughs> Blake, and, back and, to you. And Matt, while we're doing introductions, yes. tell us about your involvement with March of the Machine. Oh, very little. I, um, I just, I, I'm here. Yeah, you just uh, showed the, up. The door was unlocked. Yeah, appreciate uh, that. So my name is Matt Tabak. I'm uh, an editor 
here uh, at Wizards of the Coast. I work on the rules and templating team. I was the lead editor for March of the Machine. So I worked with the designers like Mark uh, and uh, Dave Humphreys, was another one I worked with very he closely. He led set design. He led yeah. set design uh, as the set uh, worked its way through the, the process, uh, working on some of the new rules and the mechanics and all the text that we put on the cards and a lot of the creative text. Uh, and now uh, I'm here. Well, I think that's a good transition to talk about the mechanics. So, oh, fantastic. Yes. I like good, those. Good segue. Well done. Yes. <laughs> uh, so we are going to show off some cards, some of which you may, you, the fans, have, may have already seen. They've you've never already, seen before. You definitely are. Thank you for tuning them. in for this uh, <laughs> exclusive look at things you po couldn't possibly have couldn't seen before. Possibly have <laughs> anywhere seen. on the internet. Um, but some of them you may have seen in the debut. So we're going to talk about some of the mechanics, sort of their place in right. the set, how sure. they work. So we are going to start with backup. So let's throw our first backup card up there, which is Boonbringer Valkyrie. So it's got backup one, and then flying first strike and lifelink. So Matt, first of all, how does backup work? OK, so backup is an enters the battlefield triggered ability. So when a creature with backup enters the battlefield, backup triggers, goes on the stack, you pick a target creature. You can pick any target creature. Uh, what you're going to do is when that ability resolves, you're going to put a plus one, plus one counter on the target creature. Now, if you've targeted a creature other than the creature with backup, that creature also gains all of the abilities that it's on the backup creature underneath backup mm -hmm. until end of turn. So for example, on Boonbringer Valkyrie, you see it has backup. And then underneath backup, it has flying first strike and lifelink. So if I targeted Boonbringer Valkyrie itself with the backup ability, which I can totally do if it's like, like my first creature, I can target it. It gets a plus one, plus one counter. I have a 5-5 five, five creature. Great. If I want to instead target another creature I control, I can put a plus one, plus one counter on that creature. And then that creature gains flying first strike and lifelink until end of turn. Presumably, I've controlled that creature. It can now attack and is boosted by those abilities. Mm -hmm. Now, Boonbringer Valkyrie is, is pretty straightforward. Flying, first strike, lifelink, we're, we're pretty used to those abilities being yes. stapled to other creatures. Our next card um, is a little bit more exotic. So this is Arch Priestess of Shadow. So under that backup ability, Death Touch, and whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player or battle, we'll get to that in a moment, uh, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battle. So does this still work the same way? Right, and so you'll notice on uh, other abilities, on backup creatures where normally we would use the name of the card. Like normally mm -hmm. this would say, whenever Archpriest of Shadows deals combat damage to a player. But because those abilities are so often going to be given to other creatures, mm -hmm. we instead used this creature to make it uh, more understandable that the creature that gains the ability, that's the one that if it deals combat damage to, in this case, a player or battle, I get the effect return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So Archpriest of Shadows enters the battlefield, backup triggers. If I target itself, it just gets the plus one, plus one counter. It doesn't gain its own abilities again, okay. which is important to note. So the triggered ability that it has at the bottom of the card there, whenever this creature deals combat damage, dot, 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 it does not gain another instance of that triggered ability if backup targets itself. If it targets another creature, that other creature will gain death touch and the triggered ability until end of turn, and that triggered ability will trigger if the other creature deals combat damage to a player or battle that turn while it has the ability. Gotcha. All right, so Mark, let's talk about the, the backup in the set. 
Where did this mechanic come from? What role does it play? Okay, so basically we're telling a, a war story, mm -hmm. right? The, the, the Phyrexians are invading the entire multiverse. So really, we, mechanically, we wanted to represent two things. We need to represent the threat of the Phyrexians, and we, we will get there. Uh, we need to represent the denizens of the multiverse defending the multiverse. Mm -hmm. uh, and the idea within the story is each plane is protecting its own plane. So the Phyrexians are attacking all the planes in the multiverse, but we see within any one plane the denizens of that plane fighting against the Phyrexians on their world. Mm -hmm. So we needed some way, and actually we did it in more than one way, but we needed some ways to represent people working together. Like, you know, maybe they were friends or enemies or whatever, but when the Phyrexians showed up, well, they're, they're all joined together, and then everybody is, is te teaming up together. All the people that are naturally from the world have to defend against the Phyrexians. Mm -hmm. And so we were looking for mechanical ways to represent working together. Mm -hmm. So backup is one of those. It's, it's our, our brand new one, which, um, you know, it, it shows that if I can give my abilities to other creatures, it shows that we can work together. Mm -hmm. um, this mechanic was created by Ari Nee, the winner of the third great designer search. Um, and I think it was called Boost in Design. Yeah. And, but anyway, it was a brand new mechanic and we just liked the dynamic of how it played. It allowed you to do some cool interactive things. Um, the early version of it copied everything on the card and then when you grafted abilities or you copied things, all sorts of shenanigans were happening. So we had a, we had a de shenanigans because it was causing problems. A fascinating <laughs> point. Uh, important to note that it only copies the abilities that are actually printed on the card okay. below backup. So, for example, uh, one of those creatures enters the battlefield. You can't respond to it by giving the creature with backup additional abilities, hoping to pass those off to the target of the backup ability. That doesn't work. It's just anything actually printed on that card. And in a few cases, backup cards actually have an ability printed above backup. That's in cases where giving the ability wouldn't do anything. Like, for example, there's a card with flash. Sure. That in flash appears above backup, just because giving flash to a creature already on the battlefield doesn't mean much. Right. Okay. I think that answers the question in chat too. That was gotcha, chat. I'm yeah. Here ahead of you. On top I, of I it. want this Q and A session to be quick. So <laughs> and I do want to say early on, one of the things we tend to do in, in early vision, like vision design, is mm -hmm. we do the crazy. We do like try everything version, and then as we play with it, we realize oh, it was causing problems, and so we. Like we we had to do the non shenanigan version because the is super yeah. fun for the rules and templating people, <laughs> it is. It's, um, it's really so. Good. Is backup the kind of mechanic? Is this is this mostly shown on rares? Is this infused throughout the set that it's you know going to be no, a no, limited it's, it's all of that. It's at every rarity. It's in I think most all colors I believe. It, it is just a general ability that's seen throughout the set. All right, great. Uh, let's look at our next mechanic on the next preview card. The preview card is merciless repurposing. Um, what I want to focus on is that Incubate 3 bit there. So Matt, how does Incubate work? So Incubate is a new keyword action that creates incubator tokens. So incubator tokens are a new predefined kind of tokens, like we have food tokens and treasure tokens. Now there are incubator tokens. What's different about these is that these are double-faced tokens they can transform, which is something completely new for a token. Mm -hmm. So on the front face, uh, it, it's just a artifact, uh, it's an incubator, it has, uh, excuse me, it has the ability to colon transform this artifact. Now, it transforms into a 0-0 Phyrexian artifact creature. This is bad news because 0-0 creatures don't tend to stay around very long, however, Incubate comes with a number, and that number is the number of plus one, plus one counters you put on 
the token. Mm -hmm. So when it when you do transform it, it'll be you know base zero zero. But in this case, incubate three, you'll actually get a three three creature out of the deal. Gotcha. All right, and Mark, so what's mm -hmm. the role of incubate in this set? Okay, so I talked about how we want we have two sides. Mm -hmm. So um, backup was you know the the denizens of the of the multiverse trying to protect themselves. Well, we also wanted to show the threat of the Frexians. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we did that in a couple different ways. So incubate, we loved the idea that what, what do Phyrexians do? They make more Phyrexians. And so what we wanted was, Aww. we liked the idea of making a token that made something, like yeah. food gives you life and treasure gives you mana. So we liked the idea of a token that you had to pay mana to get a creature out of it. Obviously a Phyrexian, because the yep. Phyrexian's making it. And then we came up with a technology that if we did double, because we had double-faced cards in the set, if we made a double-faced token, um, we could put counters on it, and then it would be the same amount of mana to change it. So it's always two. No matter what you do, it costs two to turn it into the creature. Mm -hmm. But the larger the incubate, the larger it naturally is because there's more plus one, plus one counters on it. So that allowed us to sort of scale incubate, but in a way in which the token always works the same. Okay. Now, I should stress that double-faced tokens are a good example of the rules didn't, didn't actually handle double-faced tokens. They weren't written into the rules. And it wasn't something the rules couldn't be written to handle, but sometimes we make up things and the rules, well, we didn't know you'd ever do that, so we didn't incorporate it. And then, mm -hmm. so we had to incorporate it, but it was kind of fun. You know, we used double-faced cards in a whole bunch of different ways, which we'll talk about today. Um, and this was just a really neat way to do a new kind of token that only could be done with double-faced because, you know, we really, you want to have the non-creature uh, state and then turn mm -hmm. it into the creature state, so. Mark, Mark, yeah. let me tell you. Yes. As the former rules manager who no longer has to do any of this work, yeah. Rules can do anything. <laughs> we make it all up. Je I think I think Jess would disagree. Who? With that. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Current rules. No, the, 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 way Je the way Jeff puts it is anything can be done. Is it worth the cost? Yes. So, we the rules can do anything, but sometimes it's too great a cost, and we don't want to pay that cost. I just say the rules can do anything and stop <laughs> talking. Uh, we do have another incubate card to talk about in here. Um, we're gonna take a little break for mechanics because this this is a story spotlight. Um, this set, Mark, has a lot of story spotlights yes. and a lot of cards that, even if they're not story spotlights, are really infused with story. Can you talk a little bit about how this set was different in that way? Yeah, so um, this in War of the Spark is what we call an event set, mm -hmm. which was, it was a giant capper that, to end the story, and it was built top down from the story. Meaning we figured out what the story was, and the entire set was built, like a lot of times when we do top down designs, it's based on... You know, it's Greek mythology, it's Gothic horror, you know, it's Japanese mythology. It's like we're taking an existing thing and building down. In a, an event set, we are taking a, a story, and the entire set is built to show off this story. Mm -hmm. War the Spark was the finale of the Bolas arc. This is the finale of the Frexian arc. And so um, we really wanted to highlight all the different things. So we, if you look in the set, there's a lot more story points than a normal set. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more. So... If you go through the set and look at all the flavor text and art, there's a lot of key things happening. Many of the things of which you'll read in the story, not all of them, but many of which you will. Yep. And so, you know, we really are trying our hardest to capture as much sort of story flavor as we can, yep. mechanically speaking. And the story is out right now. It's com it's completely out. If you want to read the full story, it's up on uh, dailymtg.com. Um, okay, let's move on to our next mechanic, and this is a big one. This one's been talked a lot about since we <laughs> teased it. There are uh, more. There are more. This set. Yeah. My goodness. 
Done two. Um, so this this is a lot of work. We had two new mechanics for the whole year. I know. Back in the day. It's All right. It's a lot of work. Our next one's pretty exciting though because it's a new permanent type. Oh. It is uh, battle. So let's take a look it's at Invasion of Ravnica. So it costs five mana. This is a colorless card. It is a battle siege. Talk more about that in a moment. Uh, when Invasion of Ravnica enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls that isn't exactly two colors. And then it's got a backside. We'll find out why in a moment. Uh, that is an artifact creature construct, a 5-5. Whenever you cast a spell that's exactly two colors, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a card that's exactly two colors from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So, Matt. What is Hi. a battle, and how does it work? Uh, there's a lot going and on here. And you have not an hour. There's a lot of Ravnica in this card, too. There's a lot of really Ravnica cool. in this card, okay. yeah. So battle is a new card type, the first new card type since Planeswalker. And they actually have a little bit in common with Planeswalkers. So as you said, battles are a permanent type. Uh, you cast them. Uh, they operate on the same timing as artifacts and creatures and Planeswalkers and sorceries. Uh, cast it during your main phase, uses a stack, does everything a spell you expect it to do. Enters the battlefield under your control. And as it does, you choose an opponent to protect it. So battles are attackable, much like a planeswalker is. Mm -hmm. You can declare creatures to attack a battle. Battles can be damaged, again, much like a planeswalker. And the number in the corner, in Invasion of Ravnica's case, that four, that indicates the number of defense counters that it enters the battlefield with. When it loses all of its defense counters, the battle's been defeated. We'll get to that in a second. Damage dealt to a battle causes defense counters to be removed from it. Now, the battle's subtypes, in this case, Siege, and all the battles in March of the Machine are Sieges. Can I say how many there are? I sure. mean, yes, you have, you have a microphone. There are 36 battles. 36 battles. 36 battles. Across all rarities, uncommon and up? I think they're uncommon and up. Okay. Um, yeah, I believe they're uncommon and up. That sounds correct. And yeah. every every battle is a unique plane. Yeah. Means there's no repeat of plane. So there's 36 different planes represented in the 36 different battles. And we dug deep into the And we dug bench. deep. Yeah. We dug yeah. deep. There's, there's some good ones. Yeah. Um, there are battles that there are some very... Niche battles. Yes. yes. <laughs> okay, uh, Matt, continue. Okay. Uh, put those cards back up. <laughs> All right. Uh, mostly because I don't want to look at myself when I'm talking. Uh, so the siege rules are going to provide for who can attack a battle, who can block creatures that are attacking a battle, and what do you do when the battle is defeated. So as a siege enters, as the reminder text tells you, choose an opponent to protect it. So. In a two-player game, that's easy. You only have one. In a multiplayer game, like Commander, you choose one of your opponents, and they are the battle's protector. It's their job to keep the battle on the battlefield, because they don't want you to get the reward on the back face. So every other player, anyone who is not the battle's protector, can attack it. Now, generally speaking, you're the only person, you being the battle's controller in this example, you're the only person who really wants to defeat the battle, but if you've made an alliance with somebody else in a commander game, they're allowed to attack the battle or you know hit it with a spell. We'll get to that in a second, if they want to. Uh, any creature that's attacking the battle, only the protector can assign blockers for it. So that's how that works. 
If a battle is defeated, which means the last defense counter is removed from it, an ability triggers, ta-da. When that ability resolves, the controller of the battle exiles it, and then they can cast the back face transformed without paying its mana cost. And you'll notice there is no mana cost, so hopefully that part's easy to figure out. Uh, in this case, you get Guild Pack Paragon. So the general play pattern is I have Invasion of Ravnica, I cast Invasion of Ravnica, I attack Invasion of Ravnica, or somehow deal damage to it. Um, when I defeat it, it's exiled. I then cast Guild Pack Paragon. Guild Pack Paragon hits the battlefield. I do the thing. I win. Uh, like I said, it's not just combat damage. Any spell that says any target now, like Lightning Bolt or any of the other, we'll, we'll see one of those coming up in just a minute. If it says any target, it can target a battle. Uh, also, anything that specifically says it can target a battle, and there's a handful of those in this set, can obviously target a battle. But we should stress that if you destroy it through some other means, mm -hmm. if you either destroy it or you sacrifice it, if it, it's not losing its last defense counter, right. it doesn't change. Okay. Right. You have to reduce it down and remove the last counter. So there's ways to destroy it that right. then it just goes away and you don't get the backside. Right. Now, it's, it is a battle. It is not an artifact. It is not a creature. It is not other, anything else. Um, there are cards that will destroy permanent. Mm -hmm. It can become a creature or an artifact, and there's some lot of fun interactions there, which <laughs> is beyond the scope of this, this little video. We'll get into that later. Um, tweet me. Tweet Jess. <laughs> tweet I know, Jess. I now know yeah. who Jess is. Tweet him um, <laughs> with all those questions. We'll cover all that later. Uh, but that's the basic rundown of battles. I, I do want to stress real quickly, all 36 battles in this set are sieges. Mm -hmm. Yes. We can. So battles are now something, a tool in our toolbox. Yep. If, the, if a battle is not a siege, that would mean it would come on your side of the battlefield. And as long as it exists, it has whatever abilities it gives you. But your opponents could attack it to get rid of it. Right. So, that is one of the questions. Yeah. Hardly, I'll, I'll just, yeah, I'll just read this. So that, yeah. Yeah. Sure. So was there Let's a reason to give all battles the siege subtype? Yes. Why was it necessary to give battles the siege subtype? And will there be battles with subtypes other than siege? Well, I can't predict the future. The future is a very long time. But we have opened up the possibility for designs like Mark alluded to. There are now the possibilities of having, instead of where like the mom battles, the March of the Machine battles, where I play it, I, like I'm, I'm sieging. I'm saying, you know, Blake, mm -hmm. defend this. I'm coming at you. I'm taking my prize. I have this. Ha. I can play a more defensive game where like Planeswalkers, you know, you cast a Planeswalker. They hang out by you, they're your buddy, you want to protect them, they do good things for you. I could have a battle that's along those lines. Mm -hmm. That's now a possibility, but the future is long. Who knows what may come? Let's focus on sieges. They are the here and now. All right. So I do, there are a bunch of questions about battles in chat. Most of them are, are kind of specific, so we're going to wait to get mm -hmm. to those till the Q&A section at the end. But we do have them. We see you battle fans out there. Uh, the one I do want to answer right now is how is the seeding for draft? Is there one battle in every pack situation? There is one battle per draft pack. Yes. So per draft booster, there will be one battle in each one. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's move on because uh, battles are not the only uh, double-faced cards. Can I talk about how battles came to be? Oh, yes, absolutely. Please. <laughs> how about that? No one cares. <laughs> no one cares. There's a Moving lot on. going on here. Um, so basically what happened was the, when we started doing the design, mm -hmm. uh, the sort of lens we decided we wanted, like sort of the vision of the set was um, what planeswalkers were to War of the Spark, we wanted planes to be to March mm -hmm. of the Machine. 
that we really wanted to show off all the planes and you know, really, we wanted to think about how do we represent planes. And to do that, I really wanted a card for each plane. I wanted to represent a card. Sure. We didn't know exactly what that meant. We didn't know it'd be a new card type, maybe it'd be a new subtype. Yes. Is it I, plane cards? <laughs> I know yeah, plane cards. Yes, I know plane cards exist. All right. uh, we were well aware of that. But we wanted something that went into your deck rather yes. than plane cards do not go into your deck, a little, little big. Um, so we wanted something that represented each plane. We tried a lot of different things. Uh, I have an article going up today where I'll, I'll show what we turned off from Vision, which is not at all what they ended up being. Um, we tried a lot of different things. We had a version where you had a deck of them that were external. We had a version where you had a little meeple that you moved between them. We, we tried a lot of different things, very out of the box. Um, we ended up with the version that you guys see, the battles, because it did this neat dynamic of it felt like you were fighting for the world, and it just had a really good feel to it. Mm -hmm. The core idea mechanically, so Richard Garfield, way back in original Ravnica, pitched something called Structures. And the idea was they represent buildings, I think, at the time. And, and they, they granted you an ability, and your opponent could attack them. Yeah. I think the way structures worked was they had to do all the damage at once. It, wasn't, it didn't tick down. Uh, but structures kind of inspired some of what we did with Planeswalkers. Mm -hmm. And then when we were thinking about this, we went back and looked at sort of the, co the core idea of structures. Once again, tweaked a little bit from Richard's original version of it. Um, but we liked the idea. And then for this particular one, we liked the sieges. So we made the more advanced version first, knowing that we can later do the other version. But anyway, it just was a neat way to show off both the, the conflict itself mm -hmm. and the individual planes. And they turned out really great. Um, I have a whole uh, podcast with uh, Daniel Holt talking about how we made the frames, mm -hmm. why are they sideways, and stuff like that. So a lot of cool stuff. So. Very cool. All right. Now we'll move on to the other mm -hmm. double-faced cards. we got a lot more to get through. So let's take a look at Elish Norn. So mm -hmm. Elish Norn uh, is one of the Praetors. So we have each of the Praetors represented here as a double-faced card with a saga on the back. So... Elish Nord, um, whenever a source an opponent controls deals damage to you or a permanent you control, that source's controller loses two life unless they pay one. And then it has that ability at the bottom where you can pay some mana and sacrifice three other creatures to exile Elish Nord and then return it to the battlefield, transformed under its owner's control where it becomes the Argent Etchings with three different abilities there. Once it runs through the saga, flips back to Elish Nord. Uh, all right, Matt. Hi. How do these things work? Uh, pretty much how you said. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so each of the Praetors is a double-faced card. There are a variety of double-faced cards in March and the Sheen, in addition mm -hmm. to Battles and the Praetors. Uh, so Elishnorn has, uh, they all have activated abilities um, that have different ways of activating them, uh, different conditions. They're going to exile themselves and then come back as the Saga. Of mm -hmm. course, a Saga entering the battlefield enters with a lore counter on it, which causes the first ability to trigger. Um, they'll have that effect, and then, um, of course, players hopefully are familiar with Sagas by now. We do use them quite a bit. Uh, every turn uh, after your draw step, which is at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, you'll add a lore counter, which gets you the next chapter ability. Um, normally, at the end of the story, after the last chapter ability, you would sacrifice the Saga, but that's not true here, because the last uh, chapter ability, chapter three, is going to uh, cause, in this case, the Argent etchings to exile and then come back to the battlefield under your control, front face up. So you get Elish Norn again, and you can start the cycle all over again. Mm -hmm. So 
So, Mark, this is yeah. a pretty unique take on Praetors. Where did this concept come from? So basically, in New Phyrexia, we introduced the Praetors for the first time, and we did this, uh, the design was they did a positive thing for you and sort of a mirrored negative thing for your opponent. Mm -hmm. So when we brought back the Praetors, uh, we did this cool thing in the story where we slowly introduced them over time, sort of like the way we ramped up into the story was, oh, Vorenklex shows up in call time. And we didn't say much about it, but if you were a fan of the story, you knew that wasn't supposed to happen. And then mm -hmm. that was a hint that something was going on. And so we, you know, we, Jin Gataxis was in um, Kamigawa, Urbrask was in New Capenna, uh, um, Sherald was in Dominaria uh, United, mm -hmm. and then we had um, Elish Norn in Phyrexia. Yeah. So the original plan was, that's it, we, we, we've done them all. But I'm like, oh, no, no, we can't do a giant war of the Phyrexians and not see the Praetors. So we, the, the goal of the vintage design team was, okay, we want to do something cool with Praetors. The previous two, both the previous cycles were very popular. Like, okay, high bar. And so we decided that since we had double-faced cards, maybe we'd do something different than we had done before. So mm -hmm. we actually pitched a whole bunch of different ways to do them. Uh, but the, the ones that turned into sagas were the most popular, and set design chose to do those. Uh, the one change is, in our version, they were a Praetor, they became a saga, and then they went away. Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 they'll just come right back. So they, they, they made it so it kept cycling itself. Yeah. Also, I want to point out, the reason that they exile and then return transformed, rather than transforming, is so that the, we need the counters the to go win the counter. saga. Otherwise, yeah. Yeah. the saga wouldn't happen. There are ways to do it without that, but it costs you words. Yeah. And it's just they, they already have pretty lengthy abilities. Yeah. Yeah. So this was just a, a cheap and easy way to get that to happen. Makes sense. Uh, now, Elish Norn, of course, one of the Praetors has multiple different versions. So we can show off a couple different versions. So uh, here we have the showcase version done in that ink etched. And then we have, oh yeah, I have the physical one. So um, there are serialized. So these have different art as well. Um, so this is a, let's see if we can get that in there. This is a mock-up. You can see it's XXX. This is not one of the actual serialized ones. Uh, but we have this one made as an example. So it's got different art. You can see the backside. So when we talk serialized, this is what we're talking about. Very, very pretty. Uh, we have that also, I might as well show it for, I have the Jingutaxius, which we showed at the first look. Shine. Should we be ooing? You can, yeah, okay. ooh. 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 Ah. <laughs> oh. All right. Um, the last type of double-faced card I want to talk about before we move on from mechanics um, are the creatures that turn Phyrexian. So we've got Pelucranos Reborn. Pelucranos Reborn is a three green mana legendary creature, Hydra, four, five with reach for six and a white Phyrexian mana. You can transform Pelucranos Reborn, activate only as a sorcery. And then it becomes a six, six with reach and lifelink. And whenever Pelucranos Engine of Ruin or another non-token Hydra you control dies. Create a 3-3 green and white Phyrexian Hydra creature token with reach and a 3-3 green and white Phyrexian Hydra creature token with lifelink. So, Matt, these seem like fairly straightforward transform cards. Is there any sort of rules oddities with these? Pelucranos just had a day. Just like yeah. to point that out. Yeah, yeah, it's really, <clears throat> really a thing. Uh, one thing to note is just uh, a lot of these have activated abilities that require Phyrexian mana. Mm -hmm. And the creature on the back face is both the color of the creature on the front 
and the color of the Phyrexian mana required to transform it. Mm -hmm. So Pelucranos Reborn is a green creature. Pelucranos Engine of Ruin is a green-white creature. Just something to be aware of. Okay. But. Mark, tell us about uh, these uh, role in the set. Because we've seen Heliod, we've seen this one. Yes. Where are these in the set? Okay, so one of the challenges, as if there weren't enough challenges with the set, one of the challenges was <laughs> I said half the, you know, or a, a part of that had to be the Phyrexian Invaders. But before we did this set, the very last set was a set all about Phyrexia, right? It was like 80% Phyrexian. And so we wanted to be Phyrexian and fill Phyrexian, but we don't want to just repeat what we just did. Mm -hmm. And so the question was, how do we make something a little bit different? Uh, and so there were two things that we did. One was I said that the lens of the set was through the different planes, that the plane, well, we have a planar lens of how we looked at the set. Mm -hmm. And the second thing was we had the access to double face cards, which you know, Phyrexia All We One did not have. Yeah. So we're like, okay, if I can use double face cards and I want to show off all the different worlds, what can we do? And we realized is the neat things about the Phyrexians is that they transform things into Phyrexians wherever they go. So what if the front side was like creatures that are uniquely from one world? If you see Pelucranos, you know where Pelucranos is from. Mm -hmm. He's from Theros. Yeah. And so even the non-legendary ones, we were very specific. You know, if you see a samurai, you know where the samurai is from. So the front faces are all creatures very that are iconic to a particular world. Mm -hmm. And then there's Phyrexian mana, because it's, you know, the Phyrexians involved. I believe all of them are Phyrexian mana. I believe all of them are also off-color Phyrexian mana. Yeah. Um, and then you transform them, and then you now do the Phyrexian version of them. And so they gain the Phyrexian creature type, and they gain, you know, the mechanically we wanted them to feel like they're big Phyrexian. Yeah. Um, also, from a design standpoint, the backside was a little hybrid-ish in that we wanted the flavor of the color that you're transforming, but color pie-wise, you might not actually have to use that color. You can pay two life. Mm -hmm. So the backside was kind of a, a hybridish space where the first color could do it, but it felt like the second color. Yeah. So we want it to feel like it makes sense in the, the color you're using to activate it through, but it works in the first color if you don't ever use that color. So the thing I'd like to point out, if we look at Pelucranos, Pelucranos is actually a great card to illustrate this point. And it really calls into question the entire premise of the set. Becoming Phyrexianized just unmistakably makes it's you awesome. better. It's awesome. Right? Yeah. It's great. <laughs> every, every world should be welcoming this with open arms. Are you like the Phyrexian PR guy? Legs, tentacles, <laughs> whatever you have, you should be welcoming Phyrexia because you get upgrades just upon upgrades. Why are we fighting? Why are there battles? That, we know why which side is there Matt's backup? on. I mean, the, clearly the Phyrexians believe that to be true, Matt. <laughs> Matt <laughs> believes that to be true. 6-6 six, six is greater than 4-5. Lifelink is greater than not lifelink. All those words on the right are better than the paltry words on the left. Why deny glory? <laughs> Moving on. Okay. Um, <laughs> I hope the Frexies never made here. <laughs> and the other, the other cool thing um, that we talked about in the first look was that for, for the people who care about the lore, uh, the Frexian color, yep, and there's the um, Booster Fun version, uh, the, the color that is used to transform it represents the, the branch of Phyrexia that actually corrupted them. So this is Elish Norn's faction did the corrupting of Pelucranos on Theros. And if we point out, we're seeing the promo cards right now, that uh, every world that had a good visual sort of promo, like this is Theros's look. So yep. Theros creatures have the Nyx sort of sky look. 
And so different worlds have different um, booster fund versions, which mm -hmm. is not normally how we do things. Uh, but for this set, because we're seeing all the different worlds and the lens is all the different planes, the booster fund did the same thing where they show up different worlds in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's continue our trip around the multiverse <laughs> and, and take a look at some more cards. So um, one of the really, uh, you know, you can see it behind me. One of the fun aspects of this set are the team-ups. Yep. The, the, the different characters who you wouldn't normally see together, uh, fighting together, for example. Uh, You're Yargle. <laughs> I have come to Uh Let's look at our first card, which is Zergo and Ojutai. So Zergo and Ojutai is a legendary creature orc dragon. Uh, two blue, a red, and a white for a 4-4 with flying and haste. Zergo and Ojutai has hexproof as long as it entered the battlefield this turn. And whenever one or more dragons you control deal combat damage to a player or battle, look at the top three cards of your library and then put one of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. You may return one of those dragons to its owner's hand. So Mark, tell us about the team-ups, this card, um, what's going on here? So basically, like I said, we wanted to show the people gathering together and working together to defeat the Phyrexians. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways we did that was a backup mechanic we saw earlier. Another way we did it was team-up cards. So if you look back in the history of Magic, there have been occasionally a few cards in which we show more than one character on a legendary card. Mm -hmm. We met Genre's parents, they were on a card together. Yep. And Garolf uh, and Gisa were on a card together. Yeah. And anyway, there's been a few, but usually when we see people on cards, they have a relationship with each other. Yeah. They're married, they're brother and sister, there's some relationship between them. But we, on this world, we wanted to show that people who were not remotely friends, people that in some cases were enemies, are working together. Like in this case, Zergo is not of the Ojutai clan. Yeah. That is, you know, he's from a completely different clan. And so the idea was we wanted to show them coming together and we had another problem, which is every character that's alive could be part of the story. That's a lot of characters. Normally, if we're on a world, the only characters we can choose are characters from that world. So there's only so many characters. And even then, it can be a tight fit getting all the characters in. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine that times every world we've ever visited. So there were a lot of slots and you know, a lot of characters and only so many slots. So the cool thing about this was we could double up on characters. So it allowed us to have you know, twice as many characters on a legendary card as we normally would. So mm -hmm. it both reinforced our theme and it just, it gave them a very different feel that's uniquely this set. Yeah. All right. Uh, and we're going to see some more of those later and of course as previews go on, but I want to move on and look at a couple story-focused cards. So uh, next up we have Mirrodin Avenged uh, with some of that fantastic art with Karn holding Elish Norn's head aloft. It's an instant, it costs a black mana, and destroy target creature that was dealt damage this turn. Draw a card. Very flavorful for the story. Elish Norn was getting beat up, and then Karn came in and kind of delivered the final blow. Um, and then also another story moment card, Elspeth Smite. So that, that damage, actually, that Elish Norn took beforehand came from here. <laughs> so a single white for an instant. Elspeth Smite deals three damage to target attacking or blocking creature, which Elishnorn was certainly doing. If that creature would die this turn, exile it instead. Um, Can I just want to point out something real quick? Yes, um, please. Both Karn and Elspeth, um, this is the they have a very long connective history yeah. with the Phyrexians. Yeah. So it was very symbolic that they played a major role in the defeat of Elishnorn because both of them have suffered <laughs> greatly, greatly at the hands of the Phyrexians. Yeah. And so this is something that was mattered a lot to both of them. 
very cathartic if you read the story. Um, and the cards kind, of, cards kind of feel that way too. Oh, and um, uh, behind the scenes, this evolution of um, Elsbeth, we've been planning for a long, long time. Uh, there so, there yeah. are hints throughout the story, yeah. um, references to angels yeah. that, yeah, a lot of people pointed, a lot of fans pointed out as, yeah. we, as we got there. Yeah. Um, next up, I want to talk about a, a pair of reprints. So right. we can't look around the multiverse without getting reprints. Um, both very exciting, and uh, one of them using a mechanic we haven't talked about yet, which is a returning mechanic, obviously, it's a reprint. Um, but let's take a look at Stoke the Flames. So Stoke the Flames, if you do not know, costs, it's an instant, costs two and two red. It has Convoke, and Stoke the Flames deals four damage to any target. So real quick primer on Convoke, Matt. Convoke's back. Uh, your creatures can help cast this spell. Each creature you tap while casting the spell pays for one, or one mana of that creature's color. So uh, paying mana is kind of a 90s way to cast spells. Instead of doing that, <laughs> you can tap your creatures uh, rather than pay that mana. So if I have four untapped creatures and at least two of them are red, I can tap all those and pay no mana to cast Stoke the Flames. Or I can just tap one creature and take a mana off, however you want to do it. Uh, and as I said before, this is a good way to deal damage to battles because it has any target. Yeah. So Mark, Convoke is back. Yes. So um, Richard did not work on the set, but in some ways he did work <laughs> on the set. So Convoke was a mechanic Richard made for the Boros way back in Original Ravnica. Mm -hmm. So uh, the influence of Original Ravnica on the set. Um, I, we actually, I moved it to Celestia because Celestia thematically made more sense than Boros at yep. the time. Um, and uh, it's a mechanic we really liked. It's the only, I think, guild mechanic that returned. Uh, it showed up again when the Celestia, the, on the third visit, uh, we used it again for the Celestia mechanic. It's shown up in a core set. Anyway, it, it's a mechanic we really like. Uh, so we were, the, the story is, when we started, I said, okay, let's list every mechanic we've ever done that we think shows teamwork, mm -hmm. right? We wanted to show them working together. We made a list and then we ordered them in order of what we, like how, how excited we were for them. Convoke was number one on our list, and the plan was to, to work through all to figure out what we wanted. Uh, we put Convoke in because it was number one. We played with it. It was awesome. We're like, yeah, it's this. Why, why, are, we mess, why are we messing around? Um, the one thing we did this time is Convoke has never before appeared on a blue card. There's, there's one blue card that grants Convoke to your artifacts. Sure. And then I think there were two red cards with Convoke. But it's the blue-red archetype in this set. So blue's never had one, red's only had two. So it allowed us to make a lot of cards we'd never made before because we hadn't really made a lot of blue and red convoke cards. Mm -hmm. It's the archetype in the set. It's a spell-oriented thing. Um, but anyway, we were able to bring convoke back. It plays into the themes we wanted, and we could find some new space to make some cards we'd never made before. Yeah. And I will throw in that nowhere in the convoke rules or text will you find the tap symbol. You can tap any creature, you, any untapped creature you control, including ones that just came under your control. Good to know. All right, now our next creature, I'm very excited for this one to return to standard. Huge fan <laughs> of this too. card. I'm, it's a great, you don't know, it's great. I'm You're excited, excited. I'm, I'm excited. excited, so I, it just, I yeah. looked ahead of time to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this next card is uh, kind of best friends with Convoke, actually. So. Uh, it's not Muldrifter. <laughs> Muldrifter's best friends with just Magic of the Gathering, That's just true. how you play. No, uh, this one's pretty good though. It's a, it's a Monastery Mentor. So Ooh, yeah, good. Monastery Mentor. It costs two and a white. It's a 2-2, two -two, but it has prowess. So whenever you cast a non-creature spell, this creature gets plus one, plus one until end turn. And it also has that ability when you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1 one, one white monk creature token with prowess. This card, so powerful, it's restricted in vintage. And yet, here it is. 
Mark, what brought this back? So a couple things. One is um, we have a lot of what we call deciduous mechanics, which mm -hmm. are mechanics that we don't put every step, but we're allowed to use where we want. Prowess is one of these things. Yep. We were a little, um, because we were trying to represent the entire multiverse, uh, there's a little more deciduous stuff than normal, like uh, higher than the average amount of deciduous things here. Yeah. Uh, and this was a good example of the cards from Tarkir. We wanted to show that Tarkir was fighting the battle, so it allowed us to sort of go back. Like, reprints are nice because they really reinforce a certain time, a certain place, and that helps thematically in the set. Mm -hmm. Cool. Just checking uh, top left of the art of that card, which just went away, so now I'm just <laughs> pointing at nothing. Um, which side are they fighting on? Are you looking at the little? I'm just, I'm just, I'm looking at art. I'm not a, a huge art guy. It says they have one path, uh, but many ma feet. Many feet. Many feet sounds like one of the many advantages that Phyrexia can provide for you. I mean, until you get your head cut off by some silver golem. Th this card and Gataxian Probe are really good friends in older formats. Just yep. saying. Just saying. Uh, all right. Next up, I want to walk through, uh, maybe even run through, given how much time we have left. Uh, some of the promos for this set. So these are promos that you cool can get promos. by playing in your local game store. Time limit? Uh, well, there's not a <laughs> limit, but you know, we can't be here all day. Uh, next up, let's look at the five promo cards, including Norn's Inquisitor. So this is a 1-1 creature Phyrexian Knight for one and a white mana. When Norn's Inquisitor enters the battlefield, incubate two. Whenever a permanent you control transforms into a Phyrexian, which incubate tokens do, uh, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. So they'll incubate into three threes. It's kind of like a little uh, uh, incubator lord. The other thing I'll point out in this set, one of the themes we were able to do, because we had all the double-faced cards, because we have the things uh, turning into Phyrexians mm -hmm. and the Praetors and the incubate tokens, uh, transformation matters became a theme. So sure. um, it, it, it's, it's what we, because we had a lot of it in the set, we were able to care about it. Yeah. Yeah, so Pelucranos and Pelucranos transforms. It'll be a plus one plus again, to your point, transforming into a Phyrexian, it's all upside. It's all upside. It's all upside. Where's the downside? I don't it's see so it. So good. All right. Uh, maybe the downside is you'll get punched by this next uh, card, which is Scrappy Bruiser. A three red mana, three four creature raccoon warrior. Uh, whenever Scrappy Bruiser attacks, up to one target attacking creature gets plus two plus zero and gains trample until end of turn. Return that creature to its owner's hand at end of combat. Next one. So. I cannot possibly explain to you how terrified the glory of Phyrexia is of, of vermin running around. <laughs> it's, I, I don't know. Being punched by raccoon is pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, and it's fun. We get to show all the different worlds. So this is yeah. Luca Panda. So it, yep. it's fun just showing all the different places. Everybody's fighting the Phyrexians. Yep. So here we our next one. Kami of Whispered Hopes is, of course, from Kamigawa. So two and a green for a 1-1 one, one creature spirit. If one or more plus one plus one counters will be put on a permanent you control, that many plus one plus one plus one counters are put on that permanent instead. Add X mana of any one color where X is Kami of Whispered Hope's power. How many times can you say plus one in a oh, row? Oh, something else I will point out. One of the things when you do reprints that often is a problem for us mm -hmm. is sometimes things are too world specific. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're on another world. So, well, that reprint doesn't work because... You know, Kami Whisper of Hope, well, that's so, so such from Kamigawa. We can't just reprint it anywhere. Yeah. But we're finally in the set where <laughs> we could reprint. So we actually went out of our way to reprint things that were hard to reprint in other places because they are so set-specific. And in this people, yep. place, set-specific was a bonus, not a drawback. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next up is Botanical Brawler. So this is one of the uncommon 
uh, gold signpost cards. We're going to talk draft with uh, Dave Humphreys next week, so we'll talk more about this card then. Uh, but this is a green and white for a creature, Elemental Warrior. It's a 0-0, zero, zero, but wait, there's more. It's got Trample, and Botanical Brawler enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it. Whenever one or more plus one plus one counters are put on another permanent you control, if it's the first time plus one plus one counters have been put on the permanent this turn, put a plus one plus one counter on Botanical Brawler. And there are two mechanics that put plus one plus one counters on things. There so. are. Yep. It's called Synergy, everyone. Yep. Uh, and our last promo card in this section is called Halo Forager. So this is one blue and a black for a creature, Fairy Rogue. It's a 3-1 flyer, as all good fairies are. And when Halo Forager enters the battlefield, you may pay X. When you do, you may cast target instant or sorcery card with mana value X from a graveyard, a graveyard, without paying its mana cost. If that spell would be put into a graveyard, exile it instead. So I emphasize that there, Matt, but you can cast spells from any graveyard. With Absolutely. Uh, opponents, yours, teammates in some formats, a graveyard. A graveyard. All right, now I want to get to the Multiversal Legends. I did it. The did multi. It. I did it. The <laughs> Multiverse Legends. Yes. Uh, Multiverse Legends. Uh, so this is a bonus sheet in this set. Mark, tell us a little bit about what Multiverse Legends are. So like I said, one of the problems we had before was there are a lot of characters and only so many slots. Mm -hmm. uh, and we wanted to show the, the breadth of, of the war against the Frexians. Uh, then it dawned on us that one of the cool things we could do is we could do a bonus sheet. So bonus sheets first showed up in Time Spiral. The idea is they're an extra sheet and they show up usually um, like one per pack. Sure. Um, like in a draft booster. They, they show up in all packs, but they show up one per pack in a draft booster. Um, and the idea is you can play with them. In, in limited, you can play with them. They're legal in any format they're legal in. They don't, it doesn't change legality. Yeah. Um, but it was a really cool way that when you're playing, you could just have all these different characters show up from all the different worlds. And normally on a bonus sheet, one of the things we do is we want it thematically to fit the world that you're on. And the, the legendary creatures have that same problem. If, oh, well, we're on this world, it's really weird to do legendary creatures that aren't from that world. Mm -hmm. And a bonus sheet needs enough cards to fill up the bonus sheet. So we sort of, the neat thing about this set is it takes place in all worlds. So it was a place to do a legendary bonus sheet in a way that we can't normally do one. Mm -hmm. And it fit. Now, we did have some rules. So the rules were you had to be you had to be in part of this fight. Yeah. So you had to be alive. So like we couldn't use dead characters. or you, So you had to be somebody that could be realistically taking part of, of the battle. Yeah. And I've, and there's new art showing them you know fighting and stuff. So. Zombie erasure will not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and then these, uh, Matt, yeah. these also get the different frame treatments that we were talking about for the, the bone, the, Booster fun, correct? Yeah, so one of the challenges of editing this set, if I step back from my role as Phyrexia hype man for a second, uh, was there was a lot of frames. Like in most sets, we do what we call the booster fun treatments. So mm -hmm. these are, you know, the, the special little things to emphasize the cool parts of the set. And there'll be a special frame, <clears throat> you know, for the, the extended art has those frames, but there's uh, beyond that, there's a special little frame that we'll design for various parts. In March of the Machine, there are at least 16 world-specific frames for the legendary creatures and other cards that come from these worlds. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw a few of them as we ran through some of the cards. Uh, Zergo and Ojitai had the uh, dragon frame mm -hmm. uh, from Tarkir. Um, there's 15 more of those where that came from. Yeah, so, Prithikaros had the Nyx 
treatment. Yep. Nick's treatment, um, a lot of world-specific things. I, I could spend the rest of our time together shouting out the team responsible for putting all that together and managing it. Um, instead, I won't, but uh, look up the credits. There were a lot of people. They were all awesome. Yeah. Um, if only we could see such a thing. Right. Yes, yeah. uh, yeah, so the Multiverse Legends uh, feature a lot, you know, a lot of characters, a lot of worlds, um, have frames evocative of their home. Yeah. And there will be a collecting article that goes up uh, at the <laughs> conclusion of the show that will actually show an example of each of the frames. But you know what? Let's see some of them now. Yeah, uh, cool. Some of the cards. So Kroxa, Titan of Death's Hunger, is returning. Uh, so you'll notice there are two different versions of the multi, uh, multiverse. There are actually three if you count serialized. Um, but there's the one that has the frame that Matt was talking about. And then there is the foil etched frame as well. So there are foil etched versions for those who like foil etched. Um, we actually have a couple so of foil etched. What we're looking at here is just the regular version. This isn't the showcase. Correct. That has the, that frame. Yeah. Okay. So next up, we have Nib Mizzet Reborn. So that's one of the new frames. Ravnica doesn't right. have a frame from when we were there last. So it gets a new frame, new art. Right. Some of the frames are repurposed frames that we have seen before that were tweaked in some way. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see that, for example, with the Eldraine storybook frame. It's yep. very reminiscent of things we've seen before with some uh, changes and tweaks. For a world like Ravnica, where we didn't have anything, this was cooked up from scratch. This is what we call the architecture frame Sure. Uh, to highlight the cityscape. Uh, next up. Skitherix, the Blight Dragon, couldn't, couldn't not do Skitherix here. Um, and it gets that cool uh, inky frame, I'm aware. Yeah, from Nephraxia. Yeah, from Nephraxia. Uh, we're going to see more of that as well. Uh, next up is a fun one, Zada Hedron Grinder. We've seen that frame. Uh, that one was mostly used on landfall cards before, correct? I believe that's correct. I believe that's correct. You said it, so it's it. got it's at least an 80% chance of being correct. Uh, next up is Yargle, Glutton of Urborg, with that Dominar United uh, frame on the left. The stained glass treatment for the glory that is Yargle. Uh, next up, we have Elish Norn, Grand Cenobite. Then we have Jingataxis. Or Augur. Children. Whispering one. Just shushing us there in that art on the left. We've got Urobrask the, Urobrask the Hidden. Maybe sensing a pattern here. Uh, and next up is Vorinclex, Voice of Hunger. I love that art on the left. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, and then our final preview of Multiverse Legends for this show, Emery, Lurker of the Locks. So that's that uh, tweet storybook frame that you were talking about. Right, where you see the, the rule text now crosses the pages. Yeah. Yeah, because in, in Eldraine that was used for adventures. Adventures, right. Oh, yeah. This is a modified adventure frame. Yeah. Very cool. Um, we do also have a video. So um, some of these come in Halo foil. Again, if you're interested in the various different treatments, check out that collecting article on Daily MTG. But we want to show off a, a, a quick video of what that Halo foil treatment looks like. So this is Atraxa Praetor's Voice. 
that's what that is. It's got a swirling kind of textured characteristic to it, which is really cool. There. Now, if I open one of these, will it spin like that? On its own, no. Okay. Yeah. That's not a thing we do yet. It's not a thing we do yet. Okay. We're, I, well, I think day. Mark's working on it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I also want to go over the commander face card. So there are five commander decks for this set, and uh, various outlets are going to be revealing the full decks next week, but we want to talk a little bit about those uh, because we got some cool cards heading the faces of those decks. Uh, let's start with Bright Palms. Soul Awakener. So this is another backup card. Uh, this is a 4-3 for one red, a green, and a white. It's a legendary creature, Fox Shaman, of course. It's got backup one, and whenever this creature attacks, or whatever creature it gave backup to, double the number of plus one, plus one counters on target creature. That creature can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less this turn. Next up, we have Brimaz. I know there's a lot of consternation around this one. People love Brimaz, and now Brimaz has fallen to the Phyrexians. And now you can love Brimaz even more as a Phyrexian as a cat. Phyrexian. Thanks, Phyrexian. A Phyrexian. better cat. <laughs> Two white and a black for a 3-4 legendary creature. Phyrexian cat. Great type line. Great type line. Uh, whenever you cast a Phyrexian creature or artifact creature spell, incubate X, where X is that spell's mana value. At the beginning of each end step, if a Phyrexian died under your control this turn, proliferate, which of course makes all those Phyrexians bigger. I real quick want to point out yeah. that um, caring about Phyrexian as a creature type, it, we made Phyrexian a creature type not that long ago, mm -hmm. and new, uh, Phyrexian all will be one, we, because so much of the set was Phyrexian, it just didn't make a lot of sense to mechanically care about Phyrexians, yep. but in this set, it's one of the themes, so if you've been wanting to make your Phyrexian deck and have cards to care about Phyrexian, it's one of the draft archetypes, and there's just cards in the set to let you care about Phyrexians as a creature type. Great. Yeah, because it didn't make sense in one, because yeah, everybody, everybody, was, was, everybody yeah. was Phyrexian. Right. Now, slightly fewer people are Phyrexian. Uh, next up... For now. For now. Uh, Gimbal, Gremlin Prodigy. This, this little dude's adorable. Uh, two green, blue, and a red for a 4-4 legendary creature. Gremlin Artificer. Artifact creatures you control have trample at the beginning of your end step. Create a 0-0 red Gremlin Artifact creature token. Put X plus one plus one counters on it, where X is the number of differently named artifact tokens you control. Differently named. Yeah, this deck is fun. It, it wants you to control lots of different types of artifacts. Yeah. Get your food, get your treasure, get your Phyrexian. Well, artifact tokens, lots of different artifacts. Artifact tokens, tokens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah. All right, and then we've got Kazla, the Broken Halo. So we... Another one of those mechanics we care about from the main set, but we've seen this one before. So three, a blue, a red, and a white for a legendary creature angel ally. Nice little, nice little bonus there. Uh, five, four, with Convoke, Flying, Vigilance, and Haste. And whenever you cast another spell that has Convoke, scry two, then draw a card. Convoke all the things. Yep. And, and notably, that's a, a spell that has Convoke. You don't actually have to use Convoke to cast the spell. Good to know. All right, and then finally, so this, this last commander card is one we, we held back because it was a bit of a story spoiler. Um, we, were, we were fine showing some of the others a yep. little bit earlier if needed, but uh, here we have a blast from the past. It's Siddhar Jabari of Zalfir. Zalfir has been gone uh, for a long time. Siddhar Jabari was a named character way back in Mirage. Yep. Uh, so here, 
Siddhar Jabari is one white, a blue, and a black for a legendary creature, Human Knight 4-3. It has Eminence, that ability that works from the command zone. Whenever you attack with one or more knights, if Siddhar Jabari of Zalfir is in the command zone or on the battlefield, draw a card, then discard a card. It has flying and first strike, and whenever Siddhar Jabari deals combat damage to a player, return target knight creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So two things. Yeah. Uh, one's mechanical, one's story. Uh, me on the mechanical side, uh, besides caring about Phyrexians, the one other creature type that we care about in the set is knights. Mm -hmm. uh, it's part of the white-blue archetype. So this is playing into um, a, a theme of caring about knights in yep. the set. Uh, from a story standpoint, so way back in Mirage, um, we introduced uh, uh, the, the, the Zulfir, and, and they were uh, part of... Um, Jamora, part of the, yep. the, 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 the Jamora. And then during the Phyrexian invasion, um, uh, Seferi ended up phasing them away. Zofir got phased out because yep. he was trying to protect them and they were preparing for the invasion. And one of the ongoing stories of Teferi is his inability to bring back. Uh, for a while he lost his spark and mm -hmm. even when he got his spark back, he just wasn't as powerful as he'd been you know, pre-mending. Yeah. And so this has been an ongoing storyline of the Zulfir. Well, I don't want to completely spoil the story, so go read the story, but Zulfir is coming back. And in, in, a, in a way that's maybe not what you expect, and they play an important role in the story, and mm -hmm. so uh, that, that's why that was a story moment. Zulfir so. finally found it on the F step. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, while we're talking about Commander, uh, you know, we revealed this before, but it's a, it's a big part of these decks is that Plane Chase is returning yep. again to your point of we want <laughs> to infuse planes through all of this so why not do plane chase oh yeah plane cards plane cards I so myself you <laughs> did uh so let's throw our first we're going to show off four plane chase cards here two reprints two new uh and while we throw jund up here matt's going to tell us how plane chase works so plane chase uh involves uh, a planar deck so these are oversized cards uh and there are two kinds there are planes uh, that look just like this. And there are also Phenomenon cards, and we'll get to those in a second. So you have a planar deck that is kind of a side deck uh, that the game sort of takes place on a plane. So there are kind of two ways to play it. Either it's a multiplayer experience, typically. Each player can bring their own planar deck, or you can have one communal planar deck where everyone kind of contributes. Mm -hmm. Or just one player can bring a deck and everyone plays. There are a lot of ways you can do it. Uh, basically what happens is the game exists on a plane and when it's your turn you're the planar controller so while you're on a plane let's say the game is on Jund the first ability is active whenever a player casts a creature spell that's black red or green it gains devour five so that ability just works for everybody uh, on your turn uh, whenever, as a sorcery, as they say, like during your main phase, stack is empty, you can pay to roll the planar die. Uh, and we have, I think we have a shot of planar die. We have some planar die here in the we studio. We have, same. so uh, you'll get one of these in each of the decks. And it's to roll the first time, if I'm remembering correctly, it's uh, one mana the first time. And then each additional time, it's one more mana. So you mm -hmm. pay one the first time, and, and then two, then dice. three, then yep. four. And you roll the planar die, then something will happen. Maybe I'm off the shot. I don't You're know. You're off the shot. Okay. Um, four of the faces are blank. And if you roll a blank, nothing happens. <laughs> Exciting. But you get to say, nothing happens. If you roll 
This symbol on the blue one here, that one, that is the chaos symbol. If you roll that, chaos ensues. Each plane has a triggered ability at the bottom of the card that starts with whenever chaos ensues. Now, if you've played Plane Chase before, you might remember these abilities used to say whenever you roll chaos, because that was the only way that those abilities could trigger. But starting with March of the Machine, you'll find cards in the decks that can make these abilities trigger other ways. Mm. They'll tell you that chaos ensues, and then you have the effect of when chaos ensues. Um, so now, if I roll this, chaos ensues. So if it were my turn and I paid to roll the planar die, and I rolled that symbol, I would create two one one red goblin creature tokens. Yay me. Um, if I roll and it lands on the planeswalker symbol, which is right here, planeswalker symbol, um, I planeswalk, which means I, and I might get the details of this just slightly wrong, please forgive me, I um, put the current plane on the bottom of the planar deck uh, and I re reveal the top card of the planar deck. If it's a plane card, now the game is on that plane. So we go from Jund to, I don't know, let's go to the next card, Panopticon. We're now on Panopticon, uh, which is on the plane of Mirrodin. So now this has an ability when you planeswalk to Panopticon, draw a card. So great, we've we planeswalked, I'll draw a card. Uh, that second ability is now active at the beginning of a draw step, draw an additional card. So if we're in a multiplayer game, uh, I planeswalk to Panopticon, my turn is done, I say go, it's now Blake's turn, Blake becomes the planar controller at the beginning of your draw step, that, that your now refers to Blake, he'll draw an additional card. Uh, and if you followed all of that, great. If you didn't follow <laughs> all of that, uh, there is going to be an article on dailymtg.com that goes over the planar rules. Right. You can always also just go to the uh, Plane Chase format page on our website that has been there all along, and the rules are up to date. So. But I promise you something on Phenomena, and here's how Phenomena work. <laughs> if you reveal, reveal a Phenomena, it'll tell you something to do. Do the thing, then put the Phenomena on the bottom of the deck and go, keep going until you find a plane. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's chaos, like Ooh. quite literally chaos. Um, Two more planes to show off. Uh, we've got Esper. And these are new planes. These are new planes. So this one and the next one are planar cards that did not exist before. So that's kind of right. how the, the setup is, is. It's half reprints, half new cards. So Mark, you, you were saying. Yes. Um, so the, there's two things we did with the new cards. Uh, the first, Esper is a great example. Uh, when we made the old cards, they represent places on the plane. Mm -hmm. So multiple planar cards can be on the same plane. Yeah. And there were some places that, like famous places that we hadn't gone. So we had a Jun card, for example, uh, and I think we had cards of the other, of all the shards, except for Esper. So we hadn't done Esper yet. Mm -hmm. So this is our chance. So some of the new ones are filling in gaps of places we've been before, but we hadn't had a plane card. Yep. And then other ones. Like our next card. Um, are a plane that, the last, uh, I think uh, 2012 is when the last mm -hmm. uh, plane chase set came out. So we've had a lot of new planes since that happened. So this also, like Theros is a great example, this also gave us a chance to do some planes of worlds that, you know, had never before had a planar card. Yeah. Yeah, so Nyx is a, a new planar location. Non-token creatures are enchantments in addition to their other types. And that's Constellation. Whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life. And then whenever chaos ensues... Chaos! Choose a color, add an amount of mana of that color equal to your devotion to that color. Fitting for Nyx. 
All right, before we go, we got a couple other things to run through, and then we, we are over time, but you know what? We're still going to answer a couple questions. Chaos! We're going to do it. Um, so there are three secret layers associated with this set that we wanted to talk about. We did reveal one of them at the March of the Machine first look, uh, so we'll put that one up on the screen. So uh, the, the deal with these is that they take cards from around the multiverse, and they use the frames that we, the same frame gimmick that we've got for the set, um, where whatever plane it's set on, they get that treatment. So you'll see Wheel and Deal, Questing Beast, Olivia Bildarin, Walking Bosa, and the World Tree for Volume 1. So we already showed these. We're going to show the other two volumes. So let's see Volume 2, which has Higuri the Still Wind, Netzahal Primal Tide, Dragon Lord Kolagon, Mina and Den, Wildborn, and Zancha Sleeper Agent. Um, I love that Zancha has the Phyrexian ability there, or the Phyrexian treatment there. And then for Volume 3, Misdirection in that Strixhaven treatment, we've got Utavra, Utvara Hellkite, Kogla the Titan Ape, Nyx Bloom Ancient, love that one, and Joyra Weatherlight Captain, all with various different set treatments. Again, you see that Ravnica treatment on the Udvara Hellkite, uh, which is completely new. So uh, for each of the 15 cards in the three different volumes, there is no treatment repeated twice. So it's, it's truly a trip around the multiverse. Um, okay, finally, before we get to questions, and I want to leave a... Well... We're going over time. It's happening. <laughs> I want to answer some questions. Um, let's talk about some important dates that we still have coming up. Let's throw those up there. So previews are running today through April 4th. On April 4th, we are going to focus on commander deck previews and deck lists, um, as well as other cards that are not standard legal or are kind of extra. Uh, April 5th is when the full card image gallery will be up, so you'll know all about that. I'll note on April 4th, I saw this question in chat, so I might as well answer it now. Uh, Weekly MTG will be back. We'll have Dave Humphreys on, and we will talk limited archetypes at that point. Uh, April 8th is the March of the Machine pre-pre-release with Loading Ready Run. Definitely check that out for a first look at the set. In-store pre-release events start April 14th and run through the 20th. Uh, Command Fest with March of the Machine pre-release events. I'm going to be at the one in Seattle here. Uh, those run April 14th through 16th, so there's four of them happening around the U.S. Um, April 18th, Magic Online Arena and Magic Online digital release. 19th is when Game Nights releases their feature with March of the Machine Commanders. Uh, April 21st, global tabletop release. Everybody celebrate with some in-store launch party events. May 5th through 7th, MagicCon Minneapolis, featuring Pro Tour March of the Machine. I'm going to be there. Matt's going to be there. Uh, I don't, are you going to be there? I'm not you're not, you're not going to be in Minneapolis. I, I will be in Barcelona. You'll be in Barcelona. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and then we've got Store Championships, May 13th through 21st, and then Commander Party Events, May 26th through 28th. A couple other notes before we get to questions is that uh, March of the Machine is... Uh, very, very heavy on story, as we've talked about. <laughs> if you have not caught up on the story, if you're wondering what the lead-up to March of the Machine was, there is a Magic the Gathering podcast called The Magic Story Podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts. Um, you can find it on our website. 
and uh, several other places where podcasts are available. Just search for The Magic Story Podcast. It's working its way getting caught up to March of the Machine, but it's a great way to get caught up on the story ahead of reading the story, if you haven't done that already. Uh, additionally, Magic Gathering is now on TikTok, launching today. Uh, that's going to be a good spot to go because we've got some videos that are going to be Dave Humphreys. Again, we'll just keep invoking Dave. Mark shot some videos, so those are going to be launching today. Uh, definitely check that out, the official Magic the Gathering TikTok channel. Um, all right, let's grab some these. These dates. Let's grab some dates, Look, then questions. More dates. <laughs> more dates. Uh, so, March of the Machine, The Aftermath. We've been a little tight-lipped on this one mm -hmm. because it's it's the set is so spoilery for everything that happened in this set. And, yeah. and when we talk about, uh, here's another answer to the question, when we talk about how March of the Machine, how this war changed the multiverse and, and changed individuals involved in the war, we're going to see that in The Aftermath. So, May 1st through 2nd is the story. Uh, May 2nd will be the debut right here on Weekly MTG. May 2nd through 3rd, previews. It's a small set. It's 50 cards, um, but just story infused throughout the whole thing. Uh, May 11th will be the release on Arena, and then May 12th will be the tabletop launch for can, can I just One quick thing. Yes. One of the things I'm getting online right now is the story's ending, and people are like, oh, there doesn't seem to be any consequences. Mm -hmm. There are giant consequences. There are a yeah. lot of consequences. The, just because the Frexians get defeated doesn't mean the impact of what happened doesn't have huge impacts yeah. on magic. So Aftermath will cover a lot of that. But it's, as you will see, yes, maybe the war, maybe the Frexians didn't win the war, but they changed lots of things. Yeah. It's going to have a huge shift. What? Defeated? Oh, sorry. What do you mean? <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> the, the one that makes everything better, defeated? Temporarily. What are we even doing here? <laughs> Okay, I do want to get to a couple questions that we had before we go, uh, because I asked you very nicely to put them in. Um, okay, so a lot of these questions are around battle, so we're going we're gonna to go mostly to Matt here. Okay. Um, if an opponent doesn't control a battle but defeats it, do they cast it? So how does control and casting a battle work? Defeat it. <laughs> For example, if a battle so... is defeated, Matt... The... Sorry, my brain. Um, the important thing to note is that even though you're choosing an opponent as the protector for a battle, you still control it. Mm -hmm. So you're attacking a permanent you control, which is the first time in the history of magic this has been true. Uh, so it's a little weird. Um, so I, you are going to protect my battle. Mm -hmm. I cast the battle. You're protecting it. I still control it. So the question is, I defeat the battle. It's still I control it. It's mine. Yep. It's exiled. It's still a card I own. The question is if somebody else so what happens if I cast Confiscate on a battle? Okay. So now, yeah. if you gain control of a, uh, a battle, yes. and you are its protector, yes. you now need to pick a different protector. Okay. Right? The controller of a siege, because mm -hmm. remember, siege is the thing that sets all the rules for mm -hmm. who, can be the, who can be the protector, who can attack it, okay. things, like, things like that. If you ever end up controlling a battle that you are the protector for, you need to choose a new protector for it. Okay. This is also true in a multiplayer scenario where, like, let's say you are the battle's protector, mm -hmm. and the battle's still on the battlefield, but you leave the game. Yeah. Um, the battle is still under my control. It's still on the battlefield. I need to now choose a new protector for it. Gotcha. 
And another thing also, let's say we're in a multiplayer game. I have a battle. I give it to you, Blake. And then Matt is the person that de you know, defeats, that takes the last counter off it. I still control it. Yes. I still get the spell. Right. Matt, Matt doesn't get the spell. It's important to know that like, I may have misspoke when I said this. When I say things like, you defeat, he, yeah. you know, he, they defeat, this player defeats. It's when the battle is defeated. It, mm -hmm. it doesn't look at who defeated. It, it doesn't matter who or what took the last counter off just that the last defense counter was removed. Okay. Doesn't really matter how that happened. It was defeated. That's the important thing. And then it's exiled and... And his controller gets the spell. Controller of the battle casts the spell. If I'm... Uh, the back There face. may be weird scenarios where yeah. this comes up, but if I'm defending a battle, I obviously can't attack it. Correct. Mm. Can I cast spells to deal damage to it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There are no rules that say uh, that govern who can cast a spell that targets it. Okay. Uh, whether that spell deals damage to it, destroys it directly, like you you may be incentivized to remove that battle without defeating it mm -hmm. because you don't want me to get the reward on the back face. Yeah. Now that's trickier to do because it's a permanent that doesn't have the more common card types, right? You destroy target creatures, not going to yeah. work, et cetera, et cetera. And remember, uh, if I give uh, the battle to you, Blake, you know, I control it. You can't sacrifice it. You don't control it. I, yeah. I control it. Right. So you're not allowed to sacrifice it because it's not your permanent. Yep. Now, as a matter of convenience, when we playtested these, and, and uh, I've never actually played with a real battle. I've only played with playtest card battles. Mm -hmm. um, but we always just set the card kind of halfway between us yeah. to indicate the relationship between controller and protector. Yep. Right. But just like, for example, when you have an aura, like if I have a negative aura and I put it on my opponent's creature, I still control the aura, even the sitting right. on their right. part of the battlefield. I yep. still control it. Yeah. Uh, Mark, this next battle question is for you. Okay. Uh, is battle going to be an evergreen mechanic or just deciduous? Uh, deciduous. And to be honest, whenever we do something brand new, we want to see what the audience's response are. So it is not as if we're just going to start doing lots of them. We're do we did them in Mom. We want to see the audience response. So we, we definitely want to see how people are interacting with them and their thoughts. Mm -hmm. So it is a new tool. Uh, it's deciduous in that any set will be allowed to use it. Um, not evergreen. and. Probably it'll take a little bit of time before we see more of them just because we really want to see the first initial, the, the audience response to them before, and we work ahead. Yeah. So, yeah. Makes sense. It's kind of not like Planeswalkers, where when Planeswalkers were introduced, we were sort of molding the entire creative around yeah. it. You know, those became the focal point of the entire IP. Mm -hmm. And, and even then, when we did Planeswalkers originally, they weren't in every set. Yeah. Like, it... Eventually, they got to the point where they were every set. Right. When we originally did them, they were in Lorwyn, and then you know they didn't show up for a year. So yeah. you know we're pretty well versed in depicting battles without the card type. Yeah. We've been doing it for decades. Yeah. So, uh, question: I'll take this one. Where are the multiversal legends found? Uh, they are found in every pack, every type of pack, set, draft, uh, collector booster. In collector boosters, you can get, I believe, two. Potentially get two, right? Yes. Uh, and I, I read Multiversal Legends because they wrote Multiversal Legends. It's Multiversal Legends. You should Legends. stop saying Multiversal Legends. Say, they typed Multiversal Legends because, they because heard you me said say Multiversal Legends. It's Multiverse I think, Legends. Yeah, I think in Multiverse Legends, there are Multiversal Legends. It's <laughs> branding. Um, and, and to uh, another question that I saw asked, we did talk about this, but I want to make sure that we hit it. Multiverse Legends are, uh, just because they showed up in the pack, they are not standard legal. Correct. Have a different set. Well, I mean, they're they legal in the set they're legal. They're in. legal in the set they're legal in. So there, yeah. there may be some that are standard legal. Right. Um, but they, the they have their own expansion symbol. They yep. have their own expansion code. They yep. have their own collector number scheme. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. 
final question. We're gonna get real rules crunchy here, and then we're should gonna I call leave? It. Nope. What if I get it wrong? So, well, that's that's on that's you. A, that's on you. All right. Uh, Jess will come for you. So, if uh, like a battle has its final counter removed, and the trigger goes on the stack, that trigger gets stifled. Oh no! What happens? There's a rule. Uh, similar to how there's kind of a cleanup rule that will take care of a saga. Yep. The, the, there's like a state-based action that will clean it up. Okay. And just send it to the its owner's graveyard. Okay. So um, it doesn't get cast, it just goes to the graveyard. Right. If for some reason it doesn't get exiled, for whatever reason, the most common probably being the triggered ability was stifled, mm -hmm. um, a state-based action will, will come in and see... Basically, it looks for a battle that's on the battlefield that isn't the source of that triggered ability mm -hmm. that's still on the stack or the, it hasn't resolved or, yeah. or done its thing. So the, we, we've got plans in place for that eventuality. So it's rulesy, but the long and short yeah. of it is it goes to the graveyard. Right. State based actions will clean it away. Okay. Great. Okay. We're over time, but <laughs> I appreciate you all tuning in. I very much appreciate Mark and Matt coming over. Mostly Mark. <laughs> but I get some appreciation, right? No, there's, there's some I just have to say, this is my first time it's, being here, and I have had not. a blast. It is absolutely not. This is so not. much fun. I just <laughs> met Blake yesterday. It's great. Uh, thanks, this is thanks so for, much fun. Thanks for coming back. Can I, thank you, Mark. Can I come back? We're doing Maybe, the aftermath. Probably like, not. Can you commit right now live on air that I can... You're going to be on the panel in Minneapolis. Where we, we talked about that. Oh, I'm going to Minneapolis. You're not going to Minneapolis. Not You're going to Barcelona. He's going to Barcelona. Yeah. Do you want to trade? <laughs> I've never been to Barcelona. I have been to Barcelona. I'll throw in a booster box or a, a sandwich or something. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, this has been March of the Machine. Stay tuned for Chaos! all the previews that are coming. Uh, we'll be back next week with Dave Humphrey to talk uh, limited and uh, some additional stuff as well about March of the Machine. We'll see you next week.